Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I am your host, Damon Pasalka, and I am so excited today because with me, I have none other than Dr. Alyssa Rodriguez, the State Director of the Manufacturing Extension Partnership in Alaska. Dr. Alyssa, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this. Thank you. Oh my goodness, am I. <laughs> I am so excited because, you know, you guys are doing great things in Alaska. Uh, Kurt Anderson and I were able to go up there earlier this year and work with some manufacturers up there. And I thought, man, we have to have you on the Faces of Business and talk about what's happening in Alaska manufacturing, the state of Alaska, Alaskan manufacturing, and just get your perspective on it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to share. Yeah, there's a lot happening up here. Um, there's a lot that that Alaska um, and manufacturing kind of need in terms of direction and opportunity, and just being able to um, you know take advantage of those opportunities that we have in in our state and and in the nation. Ah, super cool. Well, like we always like we always want to do in the in the faces of business is I'd like to understand. How did you get to being the director of the Alaska MEP? Yeah, um, I, <laughs> I should begin by David Copperfield, and I was born, but I will. I'll spare you. I'll spare you all of that. That's awesome. um, so it's you know it's kind of been um, an interesting and very you know kind of nonlinear path. I actually started in. Uh, forestry and forest management and just really loved economics, went from economics um, in natural resources to, um, you know, had family in Alaska, wanted to move up here, found a position in labor economics and actually spent uh, over a decade in labor economics. Mm -hmm. And through working with people and giving, I gave a ton of presentations. It was one of my favorite things to do was to just have, you know, undivided opportunity to um, talk about data with people. Um, you know, nothing like a, a captive audience for your data nerding. And but but with talking to folks really saw how much people wanted help with their economy. It was it was great to be able to share the information with them. Uh, but from that lens, you really have to just be objective. And this this is the data. This is what it is. And stop there. And I really wanted to be able to go that next step with them. And so, you know, my, my spouse encouraged me to go ahead and, um, you know, take a, take a leap, take a risk and try um, to see what could I, could I do in economic development? And could that be a field uh, where I could provide some value and, and help people? Because um, at the end of the day, that's what I wanted to do was to be able to help people, you know, through economics and, and through 
purposeful and intentional economic development. So I went and worked for the state in economic development um, and through that kind of learned about the MEP. And um, at some point actually reached out to some of the other MEP directors to say, hey, what is this thing? Like, what is the point of it? What should it do Um, from an economic development perspective? How can I engage? Um, And then an opportunity arose fairly shortly thereafter that the MEP in Alaska uh, was kind of finding a new home and the university had applied for it. And when I found out about that, I was pretty intrigued. And I had run the Made in Alaska program at the state. I had overseen that. And um, so in the state of Alaska, oh, man, I should have had something with the logo on it handy. Um, But there we have um, a little mother bear and cub logo. And Mm -hmm. that means that a product was made at least 51% in the state. And so that's how you know if you're in Alaska that you're buying kind of the genuine, the genuine Alaska made product. We also have, um, it's called Silver Hand. And so that little logo is is an oval with a silver hand in it. And that means that it is um, a native made uh, piece of art or, you know, something of that nature. And um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd had that exposure to manufactured products and I really got to start digging into, um, what did we make here? Uh, we don't, yeah. you know, it's a very small percent of our economy that's actually in manufacturing. And even when you count seafood processing, it's still still pretty small. And so I hadn't had the opportunity before that to really dig in to understand what do we make here? Who are the people who make things? Um, and so that was really fascinating and exciting for me. And again, spouse encouraged me to, you know, take a leap and try, um, try my hand at, at this program. And I did a lot of research to try and understand, you know, what had happened happened with manufacturing in the past. Why would it be different seeing that it was with the university now? And did I think that I could have a positive impact on manufacturing in Alaska through this program? And at the end of the day, we said, yeah, yeah, I, I think I can. And so that's why I came over um, and I, I started the same day the program started on July 1st, 2019 um, and, and really went about trying to figure out how can we help grow manufacturing in Alaska um, and have been working hard at answering that question ever since. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. And I was, I was looking at, I was looking at your history and, and, and going through that, your data background has to be really, really interesting because you saw this beforehand. You saw the overall economy of the state of Alaska. You saw how much all the different pieces of it were. You saw how manufacturing fit into the overall. And then your, your forestry background, I mean, that's massive in the, in, in the, in the uh, Alaska. but what was the, when you started to look at Alaskan manufacturing, what was the first thing you went, wow, I didn't realize that at all? That's a cool question. Um, I really think it was the diversity. Um, just looking at the diversity of products that were made here um, really just kind of blew me away. Uh, and it's one of those, uh, I forget the like phenomenon, red car phenomenon or something where like you buy a red car yeah. and all you see it was the same thing. Um, and Talisa was like, you got to stop this because everywhere we would go, I'm like, hey, look, it's made here. Hey, look, it's made here. Um, and so, yeah, as soon as I started looking into it, it, just the diversity. And I'd written an article about it when I was in in labor economics. Like I wrote the article on, menu, on other manufacturing, everything that's non-seafood. So you would you would have thought that I would 
have understood through writing that article just how diverse the product lines were. But when you look at something through those North American industrial classification codes, it's very different than, you know, just going to a shelf or, or sifting through, um, you know, permit data that says this is the, the product that I make. You know, everything that's a beverage is going to be classified under that NAICS code. But once you start digging into it, you're like, oh, OK, so we've got coffee, we've got tea, we've got vodka, we've got beer, we've got kombucha, we've got mead. Like all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's not it's not just beverages, you know, you really kind of open the door to all this diversity. And the same was true when you looked into clothing and when you started looking into um, non-mineral, you know, what is it? Non-mineral mining products or something. Yeah. So fascinating as you dig into it to see the diversity that's within even one, you know, NAICS code or SOC code or those sorts of things. Uh, so that was one of the most interesting things about kind of being able to dig more into the data. And then you start to meet the people who make it all. And that just makes yeah. it so much more fascinating because now it's not just, wow, that's a really cool product. It's dang, that's a cool product with a cool person, with a cool story as to how they got here, why they care about it, why it matters to them. Um, and it just, it's like a like a fractal every time you like dig into it you go deeper and deeper and deeper yeah that is so cool i want to just take a moment here jay jay stop by drop a comment hello jay thanks for being here today i won't let anyone if you're listening drop a question in drop a comment let us know where you're listening from because today we're talking to dr Alyssa rodriguez from the alaska state manufacturing extension partnership so excited because this is just, I mean, it's so much fun to learn more about the Alaska manufacturing landscape and what you guys are doing to help manufacturers there. So you guys do a lot of training for manufacturers. So you, we, before we got on, you talked about a couple of them. Can you just explain some of the kinds of things that you're helping the manufacturers learn more about that in the past and maybe what you got coming up? Yeah, absolutely. And so so much of what we do uh, has a training component. And so it could be really explicitly training. So for example, um, I want to say in late September, my date scale is squishy, but I believe in late September, we had this amazing sales training um, by Wesleyan Greer. And um, so that is very specific. Um, it was in-depth. It was multiple days where we just poured over, you know, who is your you know, key consumer, who's your advocate within a business structure and how do you approach them? The multiple touches that you need when you're trying to attract someone new. Uh, it was just so cool. So, and then um, we actually are wrapping up today a, a HACCP training. So hazard analysis, critical control point training. So if you're a food manufacturer, if you touch food, you know, in a, in a restaurant, um, that is something that you need to know is how to make sure that your product is safe. Um, at, at all points. And so for seafood, you're going to have a different, you know, maybe um, critical control point than you would with a beverage product and those sorts of things. So understanding where your product or products, where they become, where the potential is for them to come unsafe or to mm -hmm. become unsafe and how you're going to control for that. How are you going to make sure you do it right every time? Yeah. And so that, um, that training just wrapped up today. We actually had three trainings back to back on, on HACCP. But then wow. so those are our really focused, um, you know, trainings that that are kind of classic training. 
Uh, the other thing we've got coming up is um, end of January. So January 30th will be the start date. We have an export training and that's going to take folks again. It's pretty in-depth. It's going to be once a week, um, over 10 weeks. That's going to take you deep into the how are you going to export your product? What's the right market for you? Um, you know, do you need different insurance and, and how to help you get that? So it's not just, um, you know, it's doing it with you and and a little bit for you. So there's there's a component of both um, to really make sure that at the end of those 10 weeks, you know that you can export and, and you're ready to, to leap into that journey. Um, so those are the very classic kind of classroom style trainings that we have. But then we have other things that we do um, that provide training, but they're in uh, kind of a non-traditional format. And that can be something like lean manufacturing, where we mm -hmm. have somebody come into your facility um, and, and it might be that you're changing facilities. So you have somebody come see the space before you're all got everything in there and help you lay things out to be as efficient as possible. And there's always that component of, hey, I'm coming in. I'm going to lay your space out for you. I'm going to help you. Um, or you have an established process. I'm going to I'm going to analyze your process and see how can it become more efficient? Where are the little bits of waste here and there, whether through time, product, et cetera. Um, but there's also a component of giving you those tools. So it's not just, hey, this, you know, you took 22 steps, mm -hmm. you can turn that into five, but it's helping you to be able to see your own processes through the lens of being more efficient and, and that lean manufacturing, 5S, et cetera. Um, and uh, so that's another way that there's a training component kind of built into a lot of what we do. We do the same when it comes to e-commerce. There's a component of you need a website. And so, you know, you don't, you need a website. You don't have time. We're going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. But then you need to know what's the messaging that you're putting out. How, who is your key consumer and how are you going to reach them? You, you can outsource all of that, but it is going to be so much better if you can be more engaged, if you can speak to who you know is your key consumer, if you can put that time in to figure that out. And mm -hmm. that's a training component. And it might not feel like you're being trained because it's just a deep conversation about you and your product and your consumer, but it is at the end of the day, it's, it's training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. And the, that's the thing that I think about as you, as you talk with the MEPs across the U S and you guys are, are actually, I think you guys lead, lead a lot of the places in the U S because you, you have to be a little more innovative because of the ge geography that you cover across Alaska is how do we engage these people that aren't going to be able, you know, we're not in a metropolitan area where we've got 10 million people. You guys really have to understand how to get training delivered across the wide geographic area that people value and mm -hmm. people will want to come to. Um, so what have you guys really learned over the years, because I mean, you've been here for the beginning. What are some of the things that you've learned that really have helped you guys do that? Um, so I think one of the things that we learned really quickly um, was that training that is entirely asynchronous, recorded, et cetera, falls flat. That was, that was <laughs> one of the very first lessons we learned is we created a program that was entirely asynchronous. You sign up, you take it, watch it on your own time. We thought it'll be great. And it was, I think, just classic. Like, I, I don't know why I thought it would resonate with other people because I can barely say, you know, oh, there's this this there's this training I want to watch. I'm going to make the time for it. I struggle with that. So why would busy, you know, busy business yeah. owners just 
why would they do that? It's it's way more engaging to be able to do something live, even if you're not in the same room, but to be able to do it live and have that conversation and back and forth. We learned very quickly that that was the way to do it. Um, and even even though we are really dispersed geographically, you know, we humans are humans, humans be human in, and we, we want connection. We want to get together. Mm -hmm. And so to the extent possible, we try to make, you know, we try to provide those opportunities around the state. Um, and as we came, you know, kind of came out of COVID more and more people wanted to have opportunities to get mm -hmm. together. So that was, that was a big learning curve was just how are we going to deliver content? Um, and then what, what was missing? Uh, what was not being addressed or provided, you know, by, by other um, organizations or just by happenstance, it kind of never happened. One of those is networking. Our manufacturers don't have a space to go that is for manufacturers and they yeah. want that. We hear it over and over and over again. And so that's something else. We actually, um, I think it's today. <laughs> I think there's a, um, a veterans, it is a veteran networking event in Anchorage, Alaska tonight from 6 to 9 p.m. at the BP Energy Center for all of those Anchorage manufacturers that are listening. Um, so nice. we're to, yeah, we're trying to make more, create more opportunities for people to just get together. There's so much benefit that comes from knowing other people in your industry and making those connections. I can't tell you how many products we have up here that, that are proof of that, that are these collaborations that you're like, oh, I had no idea the people from Wild Scoops Ice Cream knew the people from, you know, this coffee place or this brewery or but their products are together now. And yeah. so they do. And that would not have happened if two people hadn't met. Um, yeah. And so that's something that we're really working on is uh, are those networking pieces. Yeah. And I think, too, across the U.S., the MEPs are really working on that as well. Isn't aren't some of them you starting to put together some sort of network or, or some kind of way mm -hmm. to share that because i mean really we've we've heard this before from other companies trying to nearshore onshore their product yeah. reshore their products it's like one of my hardest things for us to reshore products is i don't know that i've got a manufacturer what i need right down the street yeah Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is, you know, we have great examples of other states that are that are really doing a bang up job of getting people together. Um, and, and usually it comes down to having a few folks um, who are in the business community who are really passionate about it as well. And so you've got these passionate people in the MEP, passionate people in the community, and they come together and they're really able to, to kind of co-create something that benefits the whole ecosystem. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely something that folks are trying to do more and more of across the nation. Yeah. Yeah. And you you have some great people out in out in the communities there. And and it really you can see when you're there how they're engaged with the community, with the economic development people, with the manufacturers, and really leading that charge for the Alaskan Alaska MEP. What are some of the things that you really get excited about as you see your people meeting more and more manufacturers in Alaska? Oh, man. So there, there's a lot of things. I mean, there's the I think one of the most fulfilling things about it is the individual successes. Those, you know, when you talk to somebody and. And, you know, you had a project with them or you have an ongoing project with them. And when they share the impact of that on them personally, that is just 
one of the most gratifying things to know that you had some small role, you, your team, whatever it was, had a small role in helping someone's someone's dream come true. You know, like these are their babies. They, they're passionate about tea. They're passionate about their product. Um, you know, and that's one of the most awesome things to see is, is when you've helped somebody succeed. We've got someone, and I, I believe she's working with Kurt and she might be working with you as well. Um, but Ashley Lattegaard from Tilt the Curl, that's one of the coolest stories. And it, and just came from a chance meeting, Um, and then learned that she had this cool product that she was kind of playing around with. And from that initial conversation, she's had, I think, seven iterations. She's got an engineering help, design help. We're doing a a prototyping run. She's got a website built and getting ready. I mean, she is going to be manufacturing a product that will be purchased around the world that's new, that's innovative. Um, And it it is so cool to have been able to to see her and her product grow and to have been any small part of helping someone's dream that they just thought, you know, maybe I could do this someday. And yeah, darn right you can. And we're going to we're going to help you do it. Um and yeah. so that's one of the coolest coolest things is to be a part of that. Um and the only thing that's really exciting is just Looking at, you know, you mentioned that Alaska is different. We are really isolated from, you know, like a supply chain perspective. And so to see some of these kind of bigger, you know, I hate to say intractable, but really long-term issues that have kind of plagued Alaska's economy, to see those issues and to be able to hopefully move the needle to be yeah. able to take on projects that are going to benefit, you know, one person at a time, but also dig in and say, what are, what are the bigger problems that are getting in people's ways? What are those problems that everybody shares? Um, and how might the, the MEP play some sort of role in moving the needle towards making that problem better for everyone, not, not just one at a time. Mm-hmm. Those are, those are really cool opportunities too. That, that is, that is. Now, obviously, communication's gotten easier, but do you think that technology is really helping with some of that supply chain, with the remoteness, to be able to to uh, to, to get the products a little easier, even if the the time doesn't change? Can we? What do you see? Is that helping? I I would say with my you know, albeit limited experience, I would say the short answer has to be yes. I mean, Alaska is still such a young state. Our infrastructure, we have very little, you know, road and you know, infrastructure yeah. and things like that. And so when you think about the opportunities that technology affords us, um, you know, from software to be able to pull a bunch of, you know, logistics companies together or a bunch of you know, trucking companies together and then use software to maximize who's going where and how can we connect. That's yeah. awesome. Um, on the other side, you know, you've got remote communities say, you know, only accessible by air. Winter is going to be awful to try and access them and somebody needs medicine, you know, yeah. like very basic human needs. And now rather than try and risk a, you know, a really dangerous flight, you know, on a plane, on a helicopter, et cetera, to try and get someone in, um, you can do something like that potentially on a drone. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I think you'd have a hard time saying no, that oh, wow. technology hasn't had a positive impact. There's still so much further to go, um, you know, because that drone to get, you know, medicine into somebody is going to be just 
terribly expensive. So it's not a solution for those those perpetual problems that we have, uh-huh. but they're they're definitely opportunities that I think technology is affording us to help yeah. people have a better quality of life, to get products moved around the state better. And that's one of the things that I think that we're, um, I don't want to say banking on, but that we are really taking a hard look at is how are things different now? You know, especially when we think about the supply chain, how are they different now than they used to be? Um, and what role does technology play? Is there is there a role, you know, for AI to play in something like that in in mapping out, you know, the most effective routes or anything of that nature? What opportunities mm-hmm. do we have to make use of all the tools at our disposal? Uh, and not just us at the MEP, but but all, everybody that we work with. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the things that are happening in manufacturing? I mean, you guys just finished up the, the national convention here not so long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what are some of the things you, you see happening in manufacturing across the United States that you think is really going to impact Alaskan manufacturers? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think there's a big, there's a big question mark um, about AI, which I, I mentioned before, you know, what, what impact will that have? Um, what opportunities are afforded? Um, you know, whether it comes to, you know, marketing and things like that, you know, something mm-hmm. as simple as, you know, chat GPT, give me a list of, you know, um, marketing ideas for my business for the next, you know, 10 months. That's going to save somebody a ton of time. if They just don't have to sit down and, and think like, oh, what should my themes be? So yeah. it can be something as simple as that. Um, or something as complex as I want to use this to model all these different things and, and give me this, um, you know, really intricate output from a supply chain perspective or, you know, logistics perspective. It, it can really run the gamut, I think. So those are some of the things, or I should say one of the things that I think um, I'm hoping that the next conference will really dig into that more and how are other um, MEPs and manufacturers utilizing those tools I think one of the the two biggest things I think that are going to impact Alaska are supply chain and workforce development. Um, oh yeah, and you know supply chain's interesting again just because I, I don't want to belabor that one too much, but it's it's been a long term problem in Alaska just due to our isolation and lack of infrastructure. So um, we we got some federal funds to work on supply chain as a nation, and that also affords us an opportunity to really take a, a hard look at Alaska individually. Um, but on workforce development, you know, I was presenting about the silver tsunami, you know, for a decade. And and we are, you know, there should be no surprise about the fact yeah. that we're shrinking work working age population. We knew it was coming. Uh, but how how are we gonna handle that? Because by and large, I I I would love to know what other states like saw that coming and were like, we're jumping on it. And now they're cruising, they're golden, they worked their plan. Um, but but we didn't, you know, we we saw that it was coming and we, you know, did a little this, a little that. But most of our manufacturers are in a place where workforce is really tight. It's hard to get. Um, how do you cope with turnover and all those things? And so we are we're working on that both with like specific, you know, one on one employers. But then also, um, you know, how can we make a larger impact? What are those things that all manufacturers need? That we can collaborate, you know, maybe it's with the university or with the school district on to try to make sure that the the workforce that's coming um, and that's, you know, entering in those those kids, dare I say, um, that they will have those skills that our manufacturers need. Um, The other thing that I'm really interested in 
is how can we as a state, um, as the manufacturing industry, work with underutilized populations that haven't maybe been given a, a chance to be in the, the labor force in the way that others have. Yep. So yep. whether those are people with, you know, um, any any kind of disability, whether those are formerly incarcerated, you know, there's there are groups of people that are have been very disenfranchised from the labor force. Um, and in many cases, not not because they don't want to be engaged, but because maybe they've heard no so many times or workplaces, you know, aren't making the small accommodations to large accommodations that they might need yeah. and to engage. And so how, how can we engage those populations um, in a way that that hasn't been done before? Well, because you you bring up a great point. I, I work with a company that in here in the Seattle area that helps people with developmentally disabled people. Uh, they coach them and help them find employment. And they were telling me that in that segment of our population, there's like 75% unemployment. And these are people that want to come to work and do good work every day. And and then there's another there's another one here in Seattle I know that does hire incarcerated people to come in their workforce and they're a very big manufacturing company and they can these people can come out and they can start working and and get technical training and continue to progress through the business and and develop very good careers and these are that this is like we don't have options in manufacturing anymore to hire people i mean so but these are gold mines because you good loyal people that want to work that want to grow their their skills and their abilities mm -hmm. and really can create great careers for themselves while helping these businesses thrive absolutely absolutely and i think that's one of the one of the hard things um i think when when we have discussions about workforce is our um oh anecdotal evidence. You know, everybody's had somebody that they've worked with that's just really been challenging, haven't come to work regularly. You know, it's just kind of pulling yeah. teeth. And so we, I think, just tend to label this generation doesn't want to work and those sorts of things. And one of the, one of the most hilarious uh, quotes that I found was, gosh, I, I think it was now I'm going to now I'm going to get it wrong. It was either Plato or Socrates. I forget who had a, a fantastic quote about how this generation is lazy and doesn't want to work and they have things so easy. And when I would give presentations, I'd pop up the quote. Everyone would agree that that's this generation. And then I would show that, you know, it was it was actually Socrates. We've always <laughs> felt that the coming generation has it easy and they're lazy and they don't want to work. And and for the most part, that's not true. We, yes. we, we approach workforce differently, work-life balance, all these things. So there are differences. I don't mean to say that there aren't, uh, but we we need to figure out how to come together. And yeah. and to just say ah, they're lazy and they don't want to work, it does does everyone a disservice. Like let's figure out how we can work together um, mm -hmm. and engage everybody who wants to be part of the workforce, as opposed to, you know, kind of putting up those walls that say, nope, I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. And if it doesn't work, it's because they're lazy, not because I'm, I'm inflexible. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. I giggle because it is, it is, you know, you said it's a quote from Socrates, every generation says it. And it's, it's a challenge for every business right now. And I think that you, you, hit the nail on the head perfectly and saying that we have to learn how to work with everyone to be able to get the, the people and develop the workforces and, and the future leaders and, and people in our organizations we need. Yeah, absolutely. Like this, you know, when you, when you imagine your business, 
this is this is your baby. You built it. You're you're proud of it. You want it to succeed. Um, wouldn't it be a shame if you if you you know inadvertently threw it all away because you just didn't want to work with this this generation that we don't understand? It's you know it's Apple versus Android. They both they're both phones. They both work. They're both systems that that you can use. But if you're an Android person and you're not willing to use Apple or vice versa, you're you're limiting yourself. And so, you know, if we can if we can humble ourselves to learn how to work with the coming generation, I think those will be the businesses that really succeed. And the businesses that say, what what workforce problem? Like we have people who want to work for us and they stay and it's all great. It's not really a problem for us. Those are going to be the ones that succeed is because they engage on a person to person level and are willing to, to be flexible. Yeah. 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 That's for sure. Because it's, it is, it is, like you said, it's Apple versus Android. They're both phones. They both do the job. It's just, we just got to figure out how to get, get them both in the workforce with us. Yeah. So what are some of the things, and I know one of the things that the MEPs do a really good job of is helping manufacturers connect manufacturers to grants or other governmental funding opportunities. What are some of the exciting things that you've seen this last year and some of the things that you, you see that may be coming up? Yeah. So, I mean, so there's a handful of things. One of the cool things that um, is, is a really great opportunity um, is for help with supplier scouting and it's called supplier scouting, but you know, if, if you've got a thing that you make and you need something that goes into that, uh, we can help you with that. And um, right. it's actually, you know, it's actually through the CHIPS Act and everything that all MEPs are are providing this service at no cost. And so, you know, we we work wow. with a local utility company, wasn't even a manufacturer, um, to try and help them find a variety of items that they needed to meet the Buy America, Build America uh, Act. And so we've got the ability to connect with manufacturers across the U.S. to try to find um find a product that somebody needs or find somebody who can make the product for them if, um, if they've got something that they need that's different. Um, whether, yeah, whether it's, you know, trying to connect and get cans and bottles when when that's, you know, in short supply or those sorts of things. So that's something that um, that we have, that we provide. It's free because of a grant. Um, yeah but you don't even have to apply for it. You just come and ask us like, Hey, I need help finding something. Now what, um, what is that program again? I'm going to make sure we, yeah. So I, I mean, I would just call it supplier scouting, supplier um, scouting, yeah. okay. supply chain optimization, um, all those sorts of things. So every MEP has got this where if Good. you, if you need something, or even if you want to tell the world, I make fiber optic cable, you can go tell your MEP, Hey, I make fiber optic cable. Do you know what opportunities are out there for me? And they can plug you in and say, yeah, I have 500 people that have reached out and say they need fiber optic cable. So, you know, okay. who do you want me to connect you with? So that's a really great opportunity. Um, and the idea of it is that we're going to build that U.S. capacity to manufacture more and more and kind of rebuild what, what has been lost over the years. Um, the things that we've got coming up, uh, I mentioned the export training that we have. Mm -hmm. Well, our state recently got a small uh, export grant. And so it provides reimbursable grants uh, for all sorts of activities related to, to export. Whether you want your website translated, you want to take a training on export, uh, you want to go to a trade show that uh, includes um, an international market, all sorts of things can be included if they're tied back to 
um, international trade and export. And then we have, and I think a lot of states have this, we have something called incumbent worker training grants. And oh. they're vastly underutilized in our state. Um, I don't know about others, but um, if you've got workers and you need to get them trained in something, it could be sales. It could be lean manufacturing. Um, you know, it, it could be a very wide variety of things. Um, you can apply for these incumbent worker training grants. Um, and and there's there's match required, but it depends on the size of your business. Yeah. And um, and yeah, you put together a plan with the, the grant worker. And um, yeah, it's it's an amazing resource that not a lot of people know about that allows you to reinvest back into your workforce, which is something that we have a ton of evidence uh, that contributes to retention. So you want to retain your people. There's grants to help you do it. That's cool. I mean, like I said, you you just named off several things that could help the manufacturers in Alaska and any other state, honestly, go to your MEP. There's one in every 50 states and Puerto Rico too, correct? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you can get this kind of help. And like you said, the supplier scouting alone could be not just you can find what you need. Other people might be able to find you. Yeah. That's a great this incumbent worker training, I think there's so much missed opportunity there because it's something that you're going to have to train people anyway. Yes. And and you can go and potentially get part of those costs offset and maybe let you train more people. Mm -hmm. Just so much good stuff that happens around that. And that's one of the things that I didn't realize when I was running manufacturing companies that A, the MEPs were there, but B, the amount of opportunities for you and the, and the MEP to partner with these funding uh, chances that you have to be able to offset some costs that allows you to, to move your business forward farther and faster because you're not footing the entire bill and we get the re, we get the benefit on the backside as people have jobs more yep. tax you know all kinds of things that helps our communities in our country. Yep. Yeah. So cool. Yes. So cool. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't take me much to get fired up about manufacturing. <laughs> That's for sure. Because it is so, you know, in it this comes to my my fun questions because because we're we're gonna get close to time here before we know it. But I gotta ask these because we are talking about Alaskan manufacturing. So what is the coolest, absolutely coolest thing you've seen made in in alaska oh my gosh that is so hard i that that would be like you know can i can i have a handful instead of one yeah I give, me a hand, was, give me a handful give me, a handful. Give me some examples because yeah. I, I want people to understand yeah so i think one of the most unexpected things that we manufacture there's a there's two that i think are really unexpected um you know, unless unless you've been around uh, Alaskan manufacturing economic development for a while, one would be rocket fuel couplings, and that was one of the coolest things that I learned about. Um, and so it's it's literally the thing that's providing fuel, and then as the rocket detaches, they decouple. Um, super critical. And and I had no idea that we were manufacturing rocket parts in Alaska. One of the other coolest things, um, and most maybe most unexpected, is um, it's. I have heard it described as a Zamboni for aircraft carriers. And so aircraft carriers, I guess their decks um, are very bumpy yeah. and they have these little, almost like ball bearings that'll come detached over time. And so rather than having a person out there in, a, in kind of a dangerous um, position cleaning that, there's a machine 
that can clean that. And we manufacture them here in Alaska. Um, and not only can it do that, it has a lot of other applications. And so they've really branched out in terms of, you know, local governments can use them for cleaning all sorts of things uh, and reducing overall maintenance costs long term for those reasons. But I think I, I want to say our, our airport here might might even use it because one of the most costly things about a parking garage is shutting it down to clean a floor. And yeah. so with this, you're doing it way faster and much more efficiently. And so they're actually losing a lot less revenue when they have to stop things to, to clean uh -huh. up. And so it's just a really cool product um, that's made here. And then, you know, some yeah. of my other favorite things, I mean, just, and it's more, I want to say it's probably more the manufacturer than it is the actual product. But, you know, we've got folks who are, I think you, I think you met them, Damon, who are making um, freeze-dried dog treats yep. and they're using what would otherwise be waste. Yeah. And always one of the coolest things when you've got somebody who's using a product that would otherwise be wasted and they're turning it into this, you know, beautiful high dollar product, a hundred percent salmon, nothing else yeah. in it, yeah. dog treat um, that's made, you know, to human grade standards. If you want to eat it, you can um, that's fantastic. It's, yeah. it's so cool. And then, you know, we've got people that were helping with, um, you know, prototyping new tools for, you know, hair designs and for safety and all sorts of things. You know, you, you lose somebody, how can you reconnect with them and tools like that? Um, we've got other folks that are making tea. That was a super cool project. Um, we have a manufacturer in Soldotna, Alaska, where you went yeah. and, um, she was looking at getting a piece of equipment. Uh, and I think she, I think she said the equipment was going to be like ninety thousand dollars, and we worked with her. We brought somebody in to help find the machine that would meet all her criteria, and they were able to find it for uh, around thirty thousand dollars. Ship delivered everything, so you know by by having this product, she saved almost sixty thousand dollars, which is just amazing. And now she's she showed it to us um, online. I think it was nice. Sammy last week. Um, these beautiful pyramid tea bags that look that are just so like beautiful and high end. The tea is delicious, and the whole friggin' thing's compostable. Just throw it, throw it in your compost. And wow. we, it, yeah, so just so cool. And then we've got other folks who are doing more with with salmon. You know, we've got we've got other freeze dried dog treats. We don't we do a lot of dog stuff. Uh, we like our dogs. So yes. yeah, we've got other folks that are doing you know different types of of Alaskan, you know, using the skin of the salmon to make dog treats. Um, super cool clothing um, that gets shipped around the world, like on Ant to, to Antarctica. Somebody's going on yeah. an expedition, they're bringing Alaska-made clothing. Uh, just so much. And then the, the, you know, other things that are part of like Alaskan, Alaskan native culture that are made here, you know, different clothing items, earrings, all sorts of cool stuff. We've got somebody else who uses entirely recycled plastic. His dream is to use plastic that's recovered from the ocean and uh -huh. uh, and he makes uh, boards out of them essentially like two by fours and those sorts of things and right now they're making picnic tables out of it but like i mean anything you use make a two by four like you use a two by four and you could use this and that's equally just amazing that we've got someone in alaska that's that's doing that that's taking our plastic and making something useful out of it yeah yeah, yeah. amazing in in the the innovative products using the 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 materials that are there i mean it's just so cool to see some of the things that that people are making and then you know like uh when kurt and i were there when we visited the the machine shop i, I should have remembered the name but i don't um you know latest technology yeah yeah latest technology you'll see anywhere in the world right there yep. and and explaining how this thing is going to run virtually lights out 
as much as it needs to run and and just matching those two things together with with the ingenuity and the innovation of the the people in Alaska and then and then the technology is so cool. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So it's it's fascinating. What what are the things about Alaska manufacturers that help you and your team just get up in the morning? I mean, because there's a lot of challenges. Yeah. You know, I I would say that they're their passion is contagious, you know, and, and typically what we find when we work with people, you know, they didn't, the tea manufacturing, you know, got into it because they're passionate about tea and about like sustainability and all those sorts of things. Not because she gets super jazzed to find an, a piece of equipment, like, and can't yeah. wait to research all that. And so getting to, getting to play a role in something that someone else is so passionate about is, is so fascinating and fun and it is the passion it is the passion of the manufacturers that i think is what gets us up and, and feeling like we're making a difference you know yeah. that that people have been so willing to share the outcomes of the projects that's been really awesome and you know when you go into a place i was in costco the other day and saw you know steam dot has a cold brew coffee product and it went from being in the refrigerated section to on the shelf because um, they got a, a food safety test and they the challenge study was was all great and their product is safe to be on the shelf without being refrigerated and that is awesome. I mean, I'm taking pictures of it and texting it to people because I'm so excited to see that growth for them and all the doors that opens up and to to know the people who that's going to impact is super super fun and and that it ripples you know being able to have that that you know kind of labor um you know department of labor work workforce development economic development lens to see that like yeah. this is one manufacturer and this is what's going great for them but i see how that's going to impact the farmers that Megan's going to work with and who are going to be able to grow more of their product and, and sell it to her or the folks that steam that's going to employ um, now that they wouldn't have before. And it, it might be one or two jobs, but those are real people. They are real yes. people who, you know, live on the other side of town who have a job now that might not have, if we hadn't done this project. Um, and that's, that's awesome. It's so, so cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, I just I I love talking with you, Doctor Alyssa, because it's the 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 passion comes through. It's, it's infecting, and and I can see that when when you guys are helping, and just the desire to serve the Alaskan manufacturers and really help them succeed, mm -hmm. and and just watch the watch the economy grow there we're winding up and, <laughs> and it's, it's so much fun talking to you. I want to, uh, Thank you. James, James Conkle stopped by and said, yes, he's he, James. That guy knows coatings. I'll just say that. I don't <laughs> even know enough about coatings to do it, but James is the king of coatings. And, uh, he's been doing a, a, a live stream podcast for a long time about it. And it's, Jeez. it's really, really interesting, really interesting. But Dr. Alyssa, I want to thank you for being here today and just letting us know what's happening in Alaska manufacturing and what's happening with the Alaska Manufacturing Extension Partnership or the Alaska MEP. Thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you today. for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Chance to get to come and chat with you and share. And it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been great to have you and learn so much today. Now, if you've been listening to this and you don't want to learn more about the Alaska manufacturing 
and the Alaska MEP and learn more about it from Dr. Alyssa. Go back to the beginning of this thing at beginning of this thing, this, this, uh, this broadcast and check it out because there's a lot of good stuff in here. And I'm going to tell you, you are going to want to come to Alaska. You're going to want to see some of these manufacturers in action because they are making some cool stuff. Thanks everyone for being here today. We'll be back again. Dr. Alyssa, just hang out for a moment and we'll finish up after we're, we're shut down here. Thank you.